Welcome to Disambiguation. I'm your host, Michael Fawcett. Each week, we interview experts in AI, generative AI, and business automation to help business leaders understand how to use these tools for the biggest business impact. In our show today, we look at the role of automation in your AI strategy. I'm joined by Mo Barachi, co-founder and CEO of Work. Mo, welcome. Thank you, Michael. It's really nice to be here. So just to get us started, could you do a brief introduction and then tell us a little bit about your um, experience with automation and you know how you've seen this technology evolve over the last few years? Yeah, for sure. Um, a little bit of background. I've been in the tech industry for the better part of the last 15 years, um, always at the intersection of where new and novel technologies are about to hit mainstream. Um, automation came into my world as a byproduct of a, of a big problem that I had in my last business site, a, a company called Sweet IQ that was in the listings management and reputation management space. And we wanted to automate a lot of our processes and we were frankly, this is back in 2000, like sort of mid 2010s. Um, we were just grossly underwhelmed by the solutions that existed in the market. They were either way too basic or frankly, way overkill for the types of processes that we needed to automate. So we decided to build, um, work um, uh, after the, the last company was acquired. So work uh, today is a, an automation platform built specifically for business operators. It comes with a large library of pre-built, pre-configured micro software bots that we call work actions. And you connect them together like sort of little Lego building blocks towards recreating a digital version of an internal process that you have. Great. Yeah. So when you're, when you're thinking about integrating automation and building and kind of an overall AI strategy. Um, what do you think uh, businesses should be concerned about? And as you've seen your customers utilize this in their business, where, where have they stumbled? Where have they seen, um, you know, challenges around this? Yeah, I mean, I think the big challenge, to be honest with you, is everybody is just confused a little bit by what all of this means. Um, you know, I'll take us back perhaps a, a, several years back. You may, you may remember the terms big data. You know, everything was big data for a while. And then, well, what is big data? It's just, you know, it's information. And then what, what did you choose to do with it? And so I think automation and AI is suffering a little bit from that same thing. It, it could be really anything to anyone. And so I think people get really confused. They get excited about the potential of um, having machines or, or, or processes or automation as a general topic replace the actions that their teams spend a tremendous amount of time and effort performing and so therefore reducing cost. And so I think that the biggest mistake that we often see is people come into this conversation not actually knowing what they're trying to solve, but they're just more in it. They're excited about having a piece of technology that could do this. <laughs> so sort of like our advice to most clients when they're thinking about automation is to first ask, what are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to save, are you trying to save money? Are you trying to create operational efficiency? I.e., you want something done faster or better. Are you trying to increase revenue? Or are you just trying to um, uh, instill innovation within the core of your business to be able to say that you have, you know, upgraded technology that allows you to be better. And then based on, you know, one of these four tenants, then we can sort of go down the stream of, okay, well, let's identify a process that's costing you too much money or that is inefficient or that could produce, produce revenue or that could produce mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so it sounds like the, the, you know, strategy is kind of like the old Dr. Covey statement of begin with the end in mind, like figure out what you're trying to do first and then do something versus use using the technology because it's there because you think it's exciting. Yeah, that yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there's that and, and there's also uh, I want to shout out to my amazing tech industry. 
we have an incredible ability to <laughs> overcomplicate and oversimplify all things at all time. Uh, oh, yeah. And then, of course, I think when when AI came out, everybody was, was you know very very enamored about its potential. Uh, and so everybody got caught in this cycle of hype, uh, and and they're making it out to be something that maybe it is, but in most cases it's not. And so there's just a lot of conversations around the boardroom saying, what's our AI strategy? Uh, but people first need to understand what's actually possible first, and mm. what's possible today, and then and then eventually tomorrow. So yes, start just with the basics and trying to understand. Yeah. It. I mean, and you think about it too. We we've talked about business process automation for a long time, but but. A lot of those technologies were extremely complicated, as you said. It was, it was very much either under or overkill, depending on what you were trying to do. So, how does looking at it today? How do you see, you know, AI, kind of the convergence of AI and the capabilities around business process automation? How does that play out now for businesses? And do you have some good examples about what some companies are doing with it? Yeah, so it's important to really remember that this is a technology that's that's uh, sort of evolving very rapidly. So let's not get to worry ourselves with what it will become in the future. It's it's almost like a like a the development of a of a child, if you will, over time, right? Like it's a little bit it's in in its infancy stage, and it's getting a little bit better, and it will continue to get better. And so I'll, I'll keep my answer grounded to what it's capable of doing today, and not what it may do in the future. But what we're seeing today is really two things. Uh, sorry, apologize. three things. Number one is obviously generative AI. So the ability to produce text and images, now potentially audio and video as well. And so if you think in the, in the context of the creation of content, it's very good at, at being able to do that. The second thing that it's able to do is, um, uh, is basic general awareness of context. So it can read, if you will, things and understand that this document mm -hmm. says this or this email says that. And then the third piece is, um, if you train it properly on your own data, then it can have both one and two, which is the generation of content and then the awareness specific mm -hmm. to the content of the context of your business. So I'll park this one on the side just for a minute because that actually requires a tremendous amount of lift. And so if we just focus on ChatGPT or Cohere or Anthropic and, and, and those other, or you know, mm -hmm. some of these uh, large language models that exist, what it's capable of doing today is having an AI agent that lives in your environment. It could live in your email. It could live in your, uh, you know, your Dropbox or your Google Drives and all that. And it can have general awareness of the content that exists in your ecosystem. So if an email comes in, you can, you know, the AI could be aware this is a complaint or this is a request for a purchase or this could be, um, you know, a, a fraudulent type of, of of email communication. So mm -hmm. what this allows you to do is it allows you to start cataloging and categorizing and tagging information that's coming in so that you can then filter that. And we've seen this sort of with the advent of chatbots becoming so much better. It's because of that. It's because it's capable of now understanding context a little bit more. Right. And then tie that into the second piece, which is the, the generation of content, because now it's aware of the things that are happening in your world and you can now prompt engineer it. So giving it very clear, specific instruction, I want you to produce a piece of text or a document or an image or you know audio and a, and a video file um, to generate that. So the real use cases that we're seeing on the generative piece are a lot of um, sales operations automation. So uh, think of all of the prospecting emails that go out. You can very easily now have uh, an LLM produce very sophisticated, customized emails to each individual lead. 
And so what we do with our platform, for example, is we can go so we can go and build a, a leads list for you uh, using platforms like Apollo. That's a partner of ours where you can say, you know, I want uh, this geography and this vertical mm -hmm. and so forth. And then for each individual, we can go to their LinkedIn profile, find out some additional information about them, prompt engineer that into chat GPT to create a very customized email to them and then send it to them. So your open rates are going to be much higher, obviously, right? Or, or your mm -hmm. rebate. So that's sort of like on the sales ops. Um, on the marketing ops side of things, it's really around creation of content for your website. A lot of blog articles can now be predominantly really well automated using ChatGPT again. Uh, now with the image generation, I would say image generation is really not quite there yet. Like it still requires a lot of tweaking for it. But at, at the very least, with the plugins that are available, you can search the web for images and, and, and things of that nature to plug it into your blog articles because you need imagery for that. So we produce a lot of automated uh, AI-generated blog posts, which I don't know where the search engines are going, but it's got to be a, a nightmare for them right now. Yeah, right. Um, uh, with that. And then I would say the third piece that we're seeing more and more of are is, is um, um, context-aware extraction of information from documents. So think finance mm -hmm. operations. Um, you, you're able using optical character recognition, so OCR technology, to extract content from invoices, for example. Now with AI, it can be a, it can give you additional context of what is this invoice about, uh, or who is it for, or when is it actually due? Do you have time? So you can now start creating context-aware automation around the data in documents that you weren't able to before. You could extract mm. data from documents before, but now it becomes a little bit more context-aware so that you can then feed that into your ERP or your QuickBooks or whatever you use for your payment system. So those are just some examples of what we're seeing. Yeah, yeah no, that, that helps, I think, put it in the right context for people about what you could actually try to do today. So I'm curious, to, to generalize kind of a layer above that, is there are there some criteria that you think of when you're talking to to, to uh, customers about what they should automate? Like, how do you identify a process that's really good for, uh, you know, automating versus one that you probably don't have the capability to do today? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, most of the conversations that we go into, they're trying to boil the ocean. You know, they, they want this blanket automate everything. Um, or, you know, they come up with incredibly complex processes because they're the most, you know, time consuming. And so we, we still try to evoke this, you know, crawl run or crawl walk run methodology where uh, one, let's just find something that's simple enough so that you get your feet wet and actually understand what's possible and what's not possible. Um, the other bit too is oftentimes people sort of get really cringy and they want to automate the entire thing beginning to end. And that may not be actually a good enough, yeah. a, a good use of resources. What you actually might want to do is automate the first 20%, 30%, and then slowly, incrementally add to it. Um, and so that just takes uh, time and training and education and talking to people to explain to them, one, what is the art of the possible? Two, from a cost management perspective, um, you know, the rule set in technology is, you know, you get to the first 80% relatively quickly, and then it's the last 20% that will take you forever. So can we find that first 80% of a process that really will add meaningful value? And to go back to an earlier point that I made, are you in this because you're trying to save money? Are you trying to, you know, create cost, uh, cost efficiency or, or just operational efficiency? Do you want to generate revenue or do you want innovation? Depending on the answer of that, then we can go down the trajectory of mm -hmm. finding, you know, better candidates. You know, our strategy going into this has been, let's just develop a library of example workflows 
because mm -hmm. what we've experienced previously is what we used to call the deer in the headlights moment, right? They see the platform, they see the potential of, of automation and AI, and they're like, I want it all. And then, then you start going down the path of, okay, which one? And then everyone gets stuck a little bit. So by giving them with a library of about 100 pre-built um, automated workflows today, uh, broken down by department, and we call it X hyphen ops, marks the spot. So sales ops, marketing ops, finance ops, HR ops, and so forth. Um, and then once you start giving them tactical examples of here are the three most common use cases that we see, it starts to just become a little bit easier for them to rationalize that. Hmm. So, so a part of what you talked about there make, kind of takes me back to something that I've, I've discussed around a lot of other use cases around AI, and that is there are certain points when you want to make sure you have the human back in the loop. Mm -hmm. Is there some criteria that you think makes sense when you're thinking of automation? And I, you know, I get, obviously, there's some processes you're not going to try to do end to end, but are there places where you go like, oh, this, this process really needs to have a human back in the loop or, or you know, yeah. involved? So it goes back to this 80-20, right? Like that first 80% is relatively, let's just say, easy or, or, or uh, you know, not as complicated to get to. It's the last 20%. And so what we find often is, you know, the machines obviously are, are already pretty good at doing a lot of things like what I've described with the generation and the context awareness. Um, but there are still many things that they just cannot do. So, you know, mm -hmm. you still need some form of human cognition uh, to, for example, supervise the machine, right? Uh, so we see this often in, um, in specifically in invoice management, for example. The machine mm -hmm. can't always detect everything in an invoice. And so we use a reinforced model where we try to extract the information. We have a quality control layer that sits on top of it that mm -hmm. tells us we were able to extract up to 80%, 90%, whatever. And the bits that we were enable, we feed back into the human so that we can you know, ascertain that the quality is there. And then what this does is it creates the feedback loop between the human doing the task and then the machine learning from how the human did the task to be able right. to sort of improve and get better. And so we've learned two things in this process. Number one, um, a human in the loop is still required for, we would peg it today to about between 5% and 15% of steps in certain processes, depending on their complexity. Uh, and then more and more, uh, what we've uh, released recently is an employee in the loop um, mm -hmm. capability. Um, and so it's one thing to just have a, a, a general human being able to do a general task, but sometimes you need someone who has business context, business awareness capabilities to be able to do you know, a business-specific action that only sure. they can do. Um, and so creating the, the, the capability of both of these two and then layering in AI and automation and API connectors and all that, you're able to get really, really far with that. Hmm. So, so it sounds like it's almost like a role-based idea, like we need this type of employee to approve, see, yeah. you know, adjust, whatever it might be, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if I stick with the finance example, right, um, it, it may be that depending on the purchase order coming in or the invoice, you may route mm -hmm. it to an individual within the business to tell you whether it's approved or not. Right. Sure. Uh, and you, you wouldn't be able to build the full end to end automation if you did not get this additional piece of critical feedback, which can only come from the human. And so then the question becomes, how do you loop the human in? And how do you make it so that it's not yet another system that now they have to plug into their day-to-day -day operations? So right. it's using things like Slack and Microsoft Teams and emails mm -hmm. so that they're not really changing their behavior, but their their, their input is fed into this uh, into this system that you've built. Yeah, so you're using the systems that they're already familiar and comfortable with, and then it yeah. just brings that in and out based on whatever that system might be, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. You know, our general rule of thumb is if we have to deploy another app or another web application, like the failure rate is so high that it's just not worth it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I have often thought, uh, please don't give me one more tool. Yeah. Um, so, so we, we talk a little bit about, you know, like the, the concept of if I want to increase revenue, I want to, you know, reduce cost or whatever. So that ties into this question, but I, I'd like to ask this kind of in one package, like, what do you, how do you suggest that a business measure the success or the ROI of this type of an automation project? The answer is really going to suck. I'm sorry. And I apologize. <laughs> uh, but the reality is it's, it's, it's a human cost. Right? I think that the cost of an organization is still predominantly a majority of it is in payroll. Um, and so we measure, there's a, a well-defined metric in the automation industry called cost avoidance, uh, i.e. is this a cost that, you know, was previously being done by someone who was on payroll that now you no longer have to pay for because the machine is doing it in an automated way. And so um, the way that our platform works, and, and we were very intentional with coming up with this pricing mechanism, is that we charge a consumption-based transactional model. And mm -hmm. so you pay per task executed. So let's say in, in the example of the, of the finance automation, for every invoice that gets processed, it's you know $1.50 or whatever it is, then that way you actually know what your exact unit cost mm -hmm. per job completed is, right? Um, you could technically then... Uh, sort of postulate what it would cost a human who's, you know, working nine to five, do, uh, you know, doing the same job would be able to do. So if a human was able to process, you know, call it a thousand invoices a week, you know, at, you know, $100,000 a year, whatever their cost is, then you can figure out what your unit cost is, and then you can compare it against that. So cost avoidance is really a big um, mm. metric there that we look at. Um, you know, uh, I have an entire theory and take hours talking about, you know, what the role of humans is going to be in the future as it relates to AI and, sure. uh, and automation. <laughs> but the reality is we're already seeing this really big shift where menial tasks are slowly being phased out anyways, because there's enough software to do that. Um, sure. And that is in some cases pushing some people out of the workforce, but in a lot of cases, it's actually forcing individuals to level up and learn new skills that are, you know, uh, superior than what they had before, at least that the, that the company can value in a different setting. Um, and so, so that's one element of it. The other thing that we see also, uh, also is just operational efficiency. So how much faster are we delivering or producing the unit of work than before? So sure. in the case of, you know, if you're a digital marketing agency and producing websites for clients or, um, you know, you have to produce reports again for clients or you have an actual deliverable that needs to be, um, you know, sent to a client in some form mm -hmm. of a digital format that you cannot produce faster, the delta in the amount of time to be able to produce that is significantly higher than it was before using automation. So that's another one. Um, one of the ones that we see specifically with AI, you may have heard this content, this uh, this term co-pilot, uh, right? So mm -hmm. an, of an AI co-pilot, and I refer specifically to it in, in the programming world. So uh, GitHub, which is owned by Microsoft, sure. is probably the largest mm -hmm. code repository software in the world. Uh, every programmer, I shouldn't say every, but a lot of programmers in the world Most, use it. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it has, it, it, you know, they came up with their programmer co-pilot. Um, and so what it does is when you're writing software, the way that it used to do is you write a piece of code, for example, a piece of, so a piece of code to reset a password function. And when you're done writing that piece of code, you would write a comment to explain, here's what the function does, here's how it does mm -hmm. it. With Copilot, it actually inverses it. So you start with a comment that explains what the function does and then press enter. And then the mm -hmm. Copilot starts to write the software for you. And then you obviously fix it or whatnot. So it's not 100% accurate, but let's say it's anywhere from 40% on the low end to 80% on the high end accurate, where now the amount of time that it takes to produce software is just 
dramatically decreased. Yeah. Um, so it's making software engineers a lot more efficient. It probably means you need less software engineers in themselves. And that, you know, uh, transcends function, right? So software engineering being one of them, I see it certainly with my SEO team and my content production team on the marketing mm -hmm. side. We see it now even in sales teams in terms of prospecting BDRs that need to send out email communication. So that's where the gen AI is coming in to just help mm. propel speeds and, uh, and, and efficiencies. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, and I, I also, you know, we talk about a lot of, a lot of discussions around AI sort of get to this or automation to get to this point of saying, Oh, if I reduce this amount of administrative overhead on an individual, it frees them up to do some higher value, uh, mm -hmm. work or increases productivity, whatever it is, I would think that's another metric you could measure. Like what are the things that I get done or have the ability to get done that I wasn't able to do in the same <laughs> amount of time, that sort of thing. Yeah. See, you know, I, I come from, uh, from the venture capital world, right. Where mm -hmm. everything is about either growth at all cost or some form mm -hmm. of a metric that will allow us to go and, you know, either raise another round of financing or increase the enterprise value of the company. Mm -hmm. So what used to be growth at all cost, i.e. figure out a way of growing your top line, figure out a way of getting what we would call, at least in Canada, the hockey stick curve, right? Uh, <laughs> able to grow this, this huge lift. Now the world has shifted a lot more towards unit, unit economics and profitability, especially, you know, given the last mm -hmm. several years that we faced with, you know, the, the economic conditions. And so the predominant majority of the conversations that we hear today are all around what does our PNL look like? What does profitability look like? What are the technologies that I can deploy to allow me to get there faster? And it's not just in terms of cost saving. The other thing that we're seeing also more and more is the speed with which you're able to release new product features and functions. So we have a lot of our users on the platform that will map out what they would like a product their product to have as a new feature, as, a, as an automated workflow, put a button on their platform that says it does X, route it to this workflow to produce it, and then once they see that this function gets traction, then we can actually dedicate resources to building it. So it just makes it so much easier now to build software and build product. And, you know, I have a lot of friends in the venture capital industry, and it used to be that a company would go from zero to sort of minimum viable product and market in 18 months. Mm -hmm. Now it's like six months and it's shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Yeah, that's amazing. And and I mean, that's certainly measurable and, and obvious that it's uh, that it's a tremendous gain from from every perspective. Right? Um, you know, one thing we didn't really talk about, but this is something that comes up a lot um, is cybersecurity. And so I'm just curious is how does how does cybersecurity play in this world of AI and automation and what should businesses be aware of? What should they consider to mitigate any risk there? It's huge, Michael. Uh, I think it's probably one of the biggest uh, concerns that we will continue to face as it relates to artificial intelligence and, you know, just mass access to data. Mm. Um, so previously, you would think of cloud computing and cloud software as having a sort of like the store of your information. That's fine, right? So your client information perhaps lives in, you know, an ERP or, you know, a, a CRM or, you know, some form of cloud mm. storage platform. That's fine. But now you're actually feeding context data into an into an intelligence if we can call it that that is that actually understands and is aware of what this information means which means that you know if we looked at sort of if i was a bad actor and i and i was somehow got access to your crm yeah okay i might be able to see your 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 customer data and, and all of that but i don't have i don't have enough uh, context awareness of what all of this means from a business setting but now with ai i actually do have context awareness of what all of this means 
which means that I can, you know, be, cut, be a lot more nefarious than I was before. Right. So um, the, the, the things to be aware of are as follows. Um, most of the cloud platforms that you're dealing with have instilled and in, implemented a tremendous amount of security systems and protocols and encryption and so forth so that your data is secure. The AI engines that you are dealing with today may not be as secure as those things. Uh, and that data is also being fed for learning purposes into not just their own models, but potentially other models as well. So I think you're going to have to think long and hard around whether that's a concern for you or not. But it's unfortunately, it's almost like, um, you know, the conversation that, that parents have with their kids when they go to high school around whether or not they're going to give them a cell phone. Like, you probably don't have a choice because all their friends have cell phones and then they can't play, you know, or engage if they don't have that, you right. know, that cell phone. It's the same thing. If you don't open things up, then you will likely not get access to this transformational technology. So I think it's just um, making certain decisions around what are you willing to share? Um, you know, if that information were to get breached or if that context, you know, where it were to go to one of your competitors, how big of a problem is that? Mm. Uh, and then to just, you know, train, educate, and teach as much as possible internally around. It's just, it's so easy today for one of your employees to click a button and give permission to some third party to have access to your entire CRM or whatever your code right. repository. And in the moment that happens, that's it. It's, it's out. And what are you going to do about it? So it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. The one thing I didn't really, and I, I mean, obviously we think a lot about security and, and privacy too. And, and, you know, obviously preventing certain data to go into the language model or, you know, that sort of uh, flow, what you strip out, et cetera. But the one thing I hadn't really thought about was the business context and the risk around business context. And that actually seems quite large. And, and again, something that I think probably a lot of companies don't think about in this context. Yeah. And, you know, the challenge too with automation is, is your, um, as you start mapping out processes, you're almost sort of like, uh, you're creating the blueprint for your business, right? So yeah. imagine that you, you take all this time and you map out all these processes. And again, some, you know, some bad actors goes in and sees how you do your return management or your customer success management and stuff. It's, it, it is concerning. But I mean, I think that um, cybersecurity as a general uh, topic has become so um, important in, in, in enterprise. Certainly when we go in, you know, we've implemented a tremendous amount of security protocols and facilities. Mm -hmm. We've gone through a lot of regulatory frameworks um, uh, and certification to to ascertain sort of the the, the sanctity of our of our uh, of not just our business model but also of our technology. And um, I'm surprised in that. I would say the request for information on our security protocols comes up. I would say only about sixty percent of the time. So in forty percent of the time, we're not asked. I mean, we obviously volunteer the information, but there's still a, a swath of, of organizations that uh, I guess aren't uh, aware that that's something that they need to be asking about. But I think you should ask it out of every single one of your vendors. Like, how are you starting my information? Yeah, that, that that seems like great advice, and and obviously a um, a big a big risk. And certainly, as we get more you know, regulatory involvement around some of these things too. I mean, it's going to be just like GDPR and privacy. There's going to be some backlash from what is regulated and what you have to do to comply with that. So definitely should be top of mind. 
Um, so we we hit on this just a little bit, but I, I um, would love to just think a little bit about the future and kind of where this is going for businesses. And I mean, some of this, I guess, is just increasing capability so that you can automate more processes than maybe you have the capability today. But is there anything else that you think would be important that is, you know, something that's going to grow out of this new AI automation blend that companies are using? Yeah, so it's that third component that I parked on the side earlier in, in the conversation, mm -hmm. which is the ability to generate, the ability to uh, acquire context, but now for your business and your data. Uh, and so the way to do this, and, and there's a number of companies that can help you build your own custom large language model and or gen AI capabilities for your business. But then in order to do that, you need to train it with your data. And mm -hmm. so in order to do that, you need two things. One, clean data, because... If you feed the AI garbage, then it will produce garbage. Um, and then so uh, so clean data and then two tagged data. Um, and so yeah. you need to actually classify your information and, and prepare it in such a way for the machine to be able to ingest it. So I think that that's where we will see more and more of are those custom large language model, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, builder types of, of, of software. And the other thing that we're going to start seeing a lot more of, and you've started seeing the beginnings of it a little bit with um, uh, custom GPTs that, uh, mm -hmm. that GPT released. So what this means is individuals are going in and training ChatGPT to do something very specific. So, um, you know, it could be uh, sort of like weather, a weather GPT that's aware of just very, it's been trained by meteorologists who know weather better than anyone else. And so therefore you're starting to get these, um, what are called AI agents that have been trained by experts mm -hmm. on, you know, a specific subject. Uh, and then that way now you can start embedding a, a less generalized um, AI, which is really what ChatGPT is, and much right. more custom tailored ones. We have, for example, on ChatGPT, you can download the work GPT, ChatGPT, which allows you, it has been trained on automation, so you can ask it to do automated things for you, and it's aware because we've trained it very, very well on how to do automation. So we'll see the rise more and more of that. Um, and so custom for you specifically, verticalized, trained by experts. Um, and then I think we're also going to see some form of... Um, uh, uh, of something that's going to blow our minds, to be honest with you. And I think that will come in the form of um, what's called artificial general intelligence. So something that is just capable of doing anything. Uh, and I think the way that that will manifest itself is with the advancement of it being able to write software. And so every task that can be done in a digital format in some capacity can be done using a piece of software. So if this artificial general intelligence or AGI is now going to be able to write software. Remember previously I said, you know, 40% on the low end, 80% okay. on the high end, probably going to get close to 90 to 100% soon. Once it's, it does that, then it'll actually be able to recreate any task that you want it to do by just sort of coding its ability to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you see this a little bit. You can go into ChatGPT today. They have this, I forget what it's called exactly, but I think it's called um, Advanced... Um, uh, data analysis plugin or something like that, where you can mm. give it a document with a very large amounts of information and you right. can ask it questions and it'll answer you. So for example, you can give it a profit and loss statement. So financial document right. is usually quite large in, in information. And you can say, give me the summary of how much money we've lost on average for the last three years. And it'll go and crunch all the data. But in order to do it, it needs to write a piece of software to actually analyze the document. And so what I really appreciate is when it gives you the answer, it actually shows you the code that it wrote to, mm -hmm. to get the answer. 
And also it's aware enough that it's able to detect anomalies in the results that it gave you and self-heal and self-correct. So I think there's some really exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. And again, this is the stuff that's, you know, not behind curtains, right? So it'll be really yeah. interesting. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. And I, I played with that a little bit around survey data, because again, that's another where, you know, place where from a market researcher perspective, right, that could accelerate uh, getting that insight out of that data and, and really help and frankly find things that are anomalies that aren't, you know, that don't really make sense that you can really question and look at. So yeah, that's great. Um, so we're getting close to, to the end, but I, I do want to think from a business leader perspective, what, what kind of advice should, you know, do you have for them? How, what should they think about if they're trying to, if they're thinking about starting this automation AI journey, um, you know, what, what advice do you have for them? Yes. Sign up to work.com. Obviously. Seamless <laughs> <laughs> uh, plug. Apologies. And it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Look, it, first off, please don't try to boil the ocean. Don't try and, and try and do everything at once. Um, pick a number of uh, processes that are very real to your team. So the, you asked me this question earlier, and I, and I would like to add to it, what are some of the mistakes that people do uh, when deploying automation and AI? There's usually, and we see this every single day, there's a massive disconnect between the C-level and VP and board members that want to deploy automation as a general topic and the people doing the actual work. And so they end up coming in with these incredible, very sophisticated consultants trying to automate the entirety of the world when, you know, the, the, the poor person on the customer service team who's trying to deliver, a, you know, a thousand, their thousands report for the day is really struggling. So I would say go down to the street level of the people doing the actual volume of work. That's where it starts. It's your marketing ops team. It's your finance ops team. It's your sales ops teams. It's your production or delivery team. Those are the four teams that you start with. What are the processes? Sit with them. Usually it's someone who's pulling their hair. So go find them um, and then start there. Start with the simple stuff. List management, lead, build, uh, lead generation, lead segmentation, enrichment, uh, assignment, production of, of BDR type of content. That's easy on the sales ops side. Um, uh, cleaning up of CRM, again, enrichment, uh, production of content and copy, production of reports, pre-sales, stuff like that. That's all doable. Finance ops, anything to do with invoice automation, you know, PO automation uh, and so forth. And then production is all going to be very function specific to your, to your business. But there's probably some portion of whatever you're delivering to your client in a digital format today that can be done using automation or AI. Right. So start there. That's going to be step one. Build workflows that are no more than five, six steps to start with, mm -hmm. just to, again, get your, your feet wet and, and deliver <laughs> results. If you end up with an organization that is telling you it's going to take, you know, six months and we have to analyze everything and whatever, you, I promise you, you're not actually going to end up with any results. You will regret that decision. Go with an organization that can get you up and running in a matter of days or weeks because automation has become so advanced today and the capabilities of Gen AI have been sort of really been tested pretty well so far that you should be able to have an automation up and running really in a matter of hours of days. And if not, then you're probably trying something too complicated and I would recommend not to start with that. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I mean, I, I particularly like the idea of saying, okay, this is not a, this is not start at the board and, and work down. It's a understand the work first and then, you know, automate things that you can see fast return off of because that, success builds success right and that's yeah. that's that makes a lot more sense i think well, um, i'll give you 
I'll give you one anecdote if you'll allow me, Michael. I was at, sure. a, yeah. Yeah, yeah. At, a, at a robotic process automation conference, I won't name the company, um, <laughs> where you know, I was just chatting with a number of folks around the table. And so the way that they work is they go and sell a number of automation licenses to the C-suite to say, this is going to help you automate X percent of your company. And then there's usually a team called the, the center of excellence or, 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 you know, or the automation mm -hmm. as a service team internally. And their job is to then take the you know, 100 bot licenses that were just acquired for whatever mm -hmm. money and then try to fit them into processes that exist. But now they have to actually find important processes because the cost mitigation of these need to offset the cost of the bot. So to me, that's just like a, a recipe for failure. You know, you're trying to fit, you know, this into that. So I would say, you know, turn it around, find the actual things. And it doesn't matter how simple or trivial they may seem. I promise you, you add enough of these very simple workflows, it, they add a tremendous amount of, of, of value over time. Yeah, no, that's great advice. Thank you. And, and, and Mo, thank you for joining today. I, you know, before I let you go, I always like to ask at the end, uh, if you could uh, suggest somebody, thought leader, somebody that you uh, listen to or, you know, enjoy that uh, you'd like to share with the audience that could maybe help them either, you know, from an automation and AI perspective or, or just in business in general. Yeah, there, there's two folks actually that come to mind if you'll allow me. I know I said one earlier, but yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, say two. Two's good. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so my friend Lloyd Lobo, um, and, and I can send you the exact link after, has been, has been doing a lot of work on community building. And I think that uh, in today's day and age, uh, with everything going on with technology, we forget a little bit the value of building community around your product. Uh, and so I, I listen to his stuff. He has a he has a new book that just came out recently as well. Um, and then Mark McLeod is the other person that I listen to uh, a lot. So Mark went through a very storied journey of being, uh, you know, a CFO for very large uh, enterprise software companies, mm -hmm. then a venture capitalist, then he had a um, an investment bank, and today he's a CEO coach. So he's mm -hmm. sort of seen the gamut of the change across the, the technology ecosystem, and uh, he has a podcast now where he interviews some of the the. The most successful and the least successful founders as well, I find is input really valuable. Yeah, that does sound really interesting. Thank you. And, and again, thank you for joining today. Really insightful. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the conversation and I know the audience is going to get a lot out of it. So thank you. Thanks a lot, Michael. It's a pleasure. And that's the show for this week. Thank you all for joining. Remember to hit that subscribe button. And for more on AI and other software research reports and posts, check out the arianresearch.com slash blog and slash research reports. And don't forget to join us next week. I'm Michael Fawcett, and this is the Disambiguation Podcast.